0: Managing those behaviors is, is a big part of what we do because people are emotional when it comes to their money and react to bad news quicker than they do to good news. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement.
1: Here's the windup and the delivery. Welcome in to Perfect Game Retirement. I'm Ben George. He's Ryan Lillett. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to talk about money bias. Do you have a money bias? There are a few different types. And if you do, how much is it costing you? And I guess really it's not a question of do you, Ryan. We, we, we pretty much all have some sort of bias, right?
0: Absolutely. And whether we want to admit it or not, but yes. And, and the more people we meet with, you uncover cover more and more of those. But uh, there, there usually is some main ones that, that people have, but we all do.
1: So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to actually break down a recent CNBC article to help us do it. They analyzed the recent Morningstar study about these biases. So we're going to go through a few different takeaways that we have and then, you know, what kind of get an idea of what Ryan experiences with his clients and, and biases and how he works with them on that. So it's going to be a good show. We also have a mailbag question coming up later. If you have not joined us before, thanks for being here. You can find everything online at blackoakam.com. That's where you'll find Ryan, who is a president and financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, all the resources he provides. But you can also, on the website, schedule your retirement coach 360 session online right there as well. So a lot to find on Black Oak am.com uh, Ryan is we're kind of in this this transition period getting ready for spring which I know you're pumped about because it means baseball pitchers and catchers reporting soon but mm-hmm. it also this is where we have these these days with weather where it's like it could be 70 in the morning and 30 at night or 71 day 30 the next day so I got me thinking I got getting to know you question today for you what's the hottest and the coldest you've been?
0: Hottest and coldest. Uh, so yeah, your your point is spot on, especially with weather in Atlanta. Is, you know, it's it's always they say wait five minutes. You know, if you don't <laughs> like the weather, it's a hundred percent, hundred percent true. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah, we're going through that right now, where it's 30 in the morning and, and you know 65 in the afternoon. So you dress for it in the morning. And you're you're sweating uh, by the end of the day. But as far as the hottest I've been was in I can't remember what year probably 1997 I was in Kissimmee Florida playing minor league rookie league baseball and we were playing in in in, (laughs) rookie league baseball in the minor leagues is there's nothing great about it let's just be honest um you know you get drafted and you think you're all this and that and all of a sudden you get thrown into the the rookie league down in down in Florida, <laughs> and you play every day at one o'clock. There's three fans in the stands, and it's probably somebody's parents. But there's just it's so hot. There in Kissimmee had no shade, no breeze. I mean, there's nothing. It's just right in the middle of Florida, and I just remember one day thinking, oh "My God, I've never been this hot in my entire life." And that feeling and thought has stayed with me um, since 1997. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Kissimmee, Florida, 97, and the coldest I've been uh, probably, probably most recently when I was in Indianapolis for the national championship. I, I, I just yeah. haven't been in too many areas that's been cold weather. I've lived my entire life in the south. And that was freezing, uh, especially coming out of that stadium in the single digits I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever been that cold before so and maybe that's a recency bias since we're kind of going through yeah, biases but um, and I can't remember any being any colder but that's that's definitely up there for me
1: yeah those are. Two good ones. I know whenever you experience it, either side of it, it sticks with you, like you said. I mean, <laughs> you're going back 25 years, and you can remember that baseball field and that, yeah. <laughs> exactly where you were when you were feeling that. So,
0: And I was eating. We had, like, bagged lunches, and I remember eating, like, chips and a sandwich at, like, 1230. Game time was happening in 30 minutes. And I, I, I remember the bench <laughs> I was sitting on. I'm like, this is miserable.
1: <laughs> you weren't making any money either.
0: No, I was making uh, – what was I making? Uh, 950 bucks a month, I yeah. think.
1: Oh man, yeah, that's crazy. That's the life you have to live to get to the big leagues, man. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, that's great stuff. Thanks for sharing that, Ryan. Um, yeah. And you talked about biases. So let's shift right into that because we're gonna have this the CNBC article in the show notes. So if you want to read through it, um, I recommend you doing it. It's got you know the results from this Morningstar study, and they found that most of us have at least one money bias. Some of us have more than one, and that those biases are very possibly costing us money in our checking, saving, investing, and retirement accounts. So. Listen today and kind of get an idea if you might be impacted by some of these specific money biases. And then listen for the strategies we're going to talk about and how to get it back under control. And, again, if you want to talk with Ryan afterwards, the best way to do that is blackoakam.com or you can call him at 470-508-0508. So a couple key points um, off the top here before we get to our takeaways. So first off, everyone has different attitudes about money. We know that. We discussed that. I mean, that's part of what you do is identifying what somebody's attitude towards money is, and then building a plan around that. Uh, but this new behavioral finance study from Morningstar found that 98% of respondents exhibited one or more financial biases likely costing them money. 98%. Are you surprised about that number at all? No,
0: um, not at all. It's, <laughs> surprised it's not, <laughs> it's not all the way to this 100. one person but said no. Yeah, yeah, just it. Mr. or Miss know-it-all out there. But, uh, so yeah, I, I don't. I don't, doubt it at all I mean there's just there's huge industry just based off the behavior part of this stuff books you could read countless number of the books which I read a few Um, it's it's just it's become bigger and bigger because of the emotional side of it obviously we've had huge swings and emotions just continue to play more and more of a part of, of how people interact with their money and a lot of times I tell people part of my job is I'm a behavior coach and we'll get into some of these things but you know I, I'm not a market timer I don't have a crystal ball but I can help you with your behavior and that's where a lot of your returns will come from just by managing that behavior.
1: Yeah so we're going to talk about trying to manage these behaviors today and let's run through some of the takeaways here let's start with the biases so the first thing you need to do is understand what the four main biases are so I'm going to. We're going to list off each of these. Ryan, you kind of give me some thoughts on each one as we go through here. Let's start with present bias. What is this? So
0: it's kind of going for that quick, quick reward um, over something that needs to play out over years, decades. Um, So it's just – and we're – this is probably the worst one is we're so – it's instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And lately, I I think COVID has – made this even worse uh, because there are certain industries that have taken off. Uh, there are industries that have really benefited from what's been going on throughout the world right now. And it's that instant gratification. I mean, let's, let's cherry pick uh, crypto. Uh, that's it, it's, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. And, you know, it's like the wild, wild West. It's not regulated. They don't know how to regulate it yet. And so it's, it's, it's going to continue to be under scrutiny, but it's, it's, it's almost that bandwagon like chasing that we're, we're trying to get that instant, instant return. But if you look at, okay, if you're putting a certain amount of money in there and you look at a percentage rate of return, okay, great. Maybe you get 50, 60, 70%, but you're, you're risking $5,000. Like, you know, what's the point of that? Um, just stay the course. And, but again, from the behavior finance standpoint, I've read this in books for people who are way smarter than I am. The, the, When we do financial planning for people, the part that triggers or fires in people's brains, when you talk about them 20, 30 years from now, it doesn't register in their brain that it's them. It's another person. So it's hard to to really have that affinity for, okay, if I keep doing this, I'm going to look like that. Well, again, the brain says you're going to look like that, but that's somebody else. That's not you, even though it is you. So it's that short-term instant gratification. It's that quick buck that they want to make. And I think our psyches and brains get worse and worse with this because of obvious reasons,
1: technology. Uh, it's just how we're wired now. And we get very impatient. So that's present bias How about base rate neglect. Now, I haven't really heard of this one, but it makes a lot of sense. It's you know judging the probability of something happening based on new information while ignoring all your original assumptions.
0: yeah. <laughs> We tend to see this when people are like overbuying or overselling and it's because of good and bad news. And I would put more emphasis on bad news. Uh, that's that's clickbait and, and people who continue to watch headlines or I'm going to pick on CNBC because this is who this article is with. But any of the news outlets, people react because it's emotional on good and bad news. Even if the market's doing well, you still scroll down and look at my news feed, and you still see why the market's gonna tumble, why the market's gonna do this. And so when people digest that day in and day out, they're gonna get a negative viewpoint of this stuff. And, and it's gonna continue to be something, so you have to turn off the noise, but it's, uh, People usually react on that bad news, which is gonna lead into another bias that we're gonna get into, but people usually react to that bad news versus the good news. You know, I mean, we may see the market may be down, but then you see news headlines that, you know, unemployment has gotten better, or inflation has slowed down, Or but they're gonna cherry pick and pick the bad news. They're gonna cram all that good news at the very bottom. So again, Managing those behaviors is is a big part of what we do because people are emotional when it comes to their money and react to bad news quicker than they do to good news.
1: Yeah, there's no question. Overconfidence is next, and this is one that I think a bias that can co- apply to just about every aspect of our lives. Right? If you're just too mm-hmm. overconfident, anything, obviously, it's not going to end well a lot of times. But with money, it's just you know you put too much weight into acknowledging your abilities and, and thinking you can you know handle everything on your own. I'm going to always make. Good financial decisions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like you said that. Could, overconfidence can cross so many boundaries, uh, especially when it comes to to sports. You know, someone starts becoming over too overconfident, and then a humble pie comes into play and uh, brings it back down to earth. But same thing goes with money, especially if you know. Sing, let's take a single stock. Uh, people have seen a single stock do very very well, and they just they, they have an attachment to it that's done so well and it's just gonna continue to do so well. Well, it's, it's probably not. you know. So it's almost, if it has done well, great, good. Um, but it's almost, you have to look at it as house money sometimes and say, okay, you know what, I, I need to know that if it gets to a certain dollar amount, I need to know I gotta carve some of this off and spread this out elsewhere. Because uh, diversification, it works it, it, it really does and if you put all your eggs in one basket you're 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 playing with fire and it could work out. It really could there, there's plenty of people where it has Especially people who get all these stock options with their employer. It, it's hard to argue against it when it's You know averaged over 20 plus percent each year. It's like hey, I can't argue with that. However We do need to make a plan if it gets too large that we we have to start making a plan for this and move it around elsewhere so it's, it's, it's definitely difficult and, and overconfidence, uh, especially with single stock, definitely uh, gets in the way of some people's planning because I've seen it on the flip side. I've seen it where it's a no brainer and then the company was cooking the books and then all of a sudden your net worth gets chopped more almost in half if not more because of corruption. Uh, so it's it's a real thing and, and overconfidence can can be very detrimental.
1: All right. One more bias here to hit on from this first takeaway is loss aversion. And this is kind of what you were talking about a little bit, right? But people who are just more worried about losing money relative to to what they're actually gaining.
0: Yeah. And that's, this is super common, especially with older investors. I get it. You you spent your whole life uh, stockpiling this money. You got your nest egg and it's the fear factor of, of losing it and, and the sting. And so I, again, it to sports for me, the fear of failure was more prominent to me than the thrill of victory. And it's almost comparatively speaking, it's almost the same where people don't, they feel the sting of that loss of their their financial statements. They see, Oh gosh, I've lost this as opposed to if they gained the exact same percentage, they just look at the statement and go, Oh, that's cool. It's just a completely different reaction. So uh, it's definitely a bias people who are definitely overly fearful of losing that money relative to the gains It's just gains or kind of things that should happen and and the downside is going to happen, but it's less frequent It is but it, it definitely stings more um, But you that's where really the education part comes in saying hey, here's your range you're gonna be somewhere in this range almost within a mathematical certainty because there's a big math component to this stuff. I know there's a lot of emotion, but there's a big math component to the market. And if you educate them and say, we're going to be between here and here, is, are you comfortable with that? And if that downside, if they say no, okay, we need to shrink the guardrails. Okay, that means the top side's got to come down. But if you have an aversion to that bottom side, then we need to we need to know that. So as long as we pinpoint those guardrails and, and keep people educated, especially when the market's down, like January was a was a rough month, And if you say, okay, I get it. You know, the market was down eight, nine, 10, whatever index you're looking at, it was down. It was pretty much down across the board. But hey, we're still in that range that we talked about before. Do you remember that? And a lot of times like, oh yeah, okay. So we're still good. Yep, we're still within that range. Okay, if it keeps going, let's have a conversation. But right now we're fine. And and that's where, again, being a behavior coach really comes into play.
1: All right. A couple more takeaways from the CNBC article, which, again, we'll put in the show notes so you can read it for yourself if you'd like to. But the next takeaway is that those people that do have low levels of money bias are going to end up being better and better financial health. That's that's what they found. So, you know, the research revealed that people who had low levels of that present bias we talked about were three times as likely to spend less than their income, which is great. And then seven times more likely to plan ahead for their future, right? So they're thinking long term rather than worrying about what's happening right now. Um, And another example too: high levels of base rate neglect and overconfidence had lower savings and checking balances, and those with loss aversion had lower four hundred one k balances. Kind of all all these things are what you kind of refer to a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's um, and and especially the the low levels of of present bias. It's Mm -hmm. they have the long term in mind so it's again it's not like we're sticking our head in the sand and just ignoring it we're paying attention but at the same time these market fluctuations that we do see whether it's march of 2020 or january of 2022 these things are going to happen Uh, there's a lot of uh, news headlines that change there's a lot of institutional investors that are moving in and out of the market and usually retail investors follow those institutional investors (laughs) They they it's the bandwagon effect. All right, market's going down. Oh, I gotta hop off. The market's going up. Okay, I gotta hop on. It's navigating that. But those who just know, hey, okay, yeah, this stuff's going to happen. the 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 best clients are the ones say, okay, yeah, the market went down eight nine percent in one month. Okay, I mean, so what? I I realize that's going to happen sometimes and you just got to continue to move forward so i'm not i'm not surprised at these numbers that they're seven times more likely to to plan ahead for the future it's it's because how they're wired and they can see themselves from a long-term perspective uh versus what's going on today and having knee-jerk reactions to to what's going on um it's i'm not a doomsdayist i've had some people just say they're um, it's okay to be uncertain or afraid of what's going on in the economy the the political environment that all those things are not new news. It's different headlines, but none of this stuff is new. And if you really believe that the market's just going to implode and fall on its face, well, we got a whole lot worse problems out there Mm -hmm. than what your stock market portfolio is. But I don't Mm -hmm. believe in that. There's going to be things that happen, but capitalism and free markets prevail. And I do 100% believe in that. And if, if you don't, then Probably not an ideal fit for us uh, as, as advisors, but you got to get uh, you got to get through that in order to get to the place where you want to be. And you know the stock market has proven to be one of the best hedges against inflation, and that's in the headlines right now. It's scaring the crap out of people that inflation is running as high as it is, and I get it. Well, the Fed needs to pump the brakes. That's what monetary policy is, and pump the brakes means increasing rates, and that's just part of how those things work and it's okay if they increase rates. Uh, But there's gonna be knee jerk reactions to that. People are gonna panic, freak out. But within a couple months or even a couple weeks, it's just yesterday's news. So the, the, the present bias, if you have low levels of it, you're gonna be way more successful. And if you don't have, Low levels of present bias, please try to get
1: some. <laughs> <laughs> no question. Um, and that should maybe be one of your main takeaways from this episode if you're listening. But yep. one of our uh, last takeaways from the CNBC article is it's all about a solution, finding a solution for these biases, which is you know building a money life, as they called it. That fits priorities, and I'm assuming this is what you do, Ryan. Right? This is you help people put this money life in place, and you know the Morningstar authors called it putting in speed bumps uh, to slow your decision making, and also talked about setting up rules. Um, I'm sure you can speak to this a lot more about how you build a money life for someone.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously a lot depends on what stage of life they people are in. Uh, I got younger investors who, you know, they they may have. Um, the the stage of life that they're in they may be looking to buy their first home or kind of upgrade if you will from that starter home but you know going through those decision-making processes we tell people we'll get as involved as you want some people don't want um, us to be involved in somewhat everyday decisions I know saving for a house is not an everyday decision like we don't we don't really comb through people's budgets as far as how much you are spending on groceries per month. we're not really we're not really doing that but if we know that a big purchase is gonna come up, okay, we need to make a plan for that. We need, you know, our kind of general rule is something three years or less. If we know we gotta buy something with a big purchase, three years or less, don't, don't put that money at risk. I, I know it's not uh, gonna yield you a good rate of return, but stuffing in a money market account, a high, quote unquote, high yield savings account, Um, you know, there's some out there that are paying half a percent 0.6, whatever they may be depending on the dollar amount, but anything three years or more. Okay. We can start looking at, Hey, does it make sense to put some of this money in the market? Maybe put it in some type of moderate portfolio, but three years or less, I would tell you, keep it in savings. It's, it's, it's kind of losing money because inflation is running higher. Um, I know on a statement it's not less, but the purchasing power is less. But if you know that is is coming up on the horizon, I'd hate for you to put that money at risk. So we need to make a plan for that. And, yes, yeah, selling a stock, that kind of goes back to uh, that overconfidence thing if we know, okay, All right, if we wanna put something in a single stock, which we don't do a ton of, Uh, we're we're more of mutual funds and ETFs and diversification, but we will put some in single stock, but we need to make a plan for, all right, if this goes over a certain amount, we need to say, all right, boom, let's cut that off and let's put this somewhere else. Just not saying sell the whole stock, but sell uh, over those gains. So you just have to build, you have to build that in. And the same thing goes with uh, like vacations for for my uh, retirees. Hey, we want to take a huge vacation every two years great all right let's build a budget for it if it's 15 grand that you need or 10 grand or whatever that may be let's factor that into the monthly distributions because taking things out monthly for things like that are usually more efficient from a nest egg standpoint than just saying hey and you know next not this summer but next summer we're taking a alaskan cruise okay well let's make a plan for that instead of just going two weeks before hey, Ryan, I need 10 grand out. Uh, can, can we go ahead and take that out? Well, great, that's fine. We can, but what if the market's down 20% and now you're taking 10% out? So it's usually coming up with a plan of taking that out over time is gonna be much better than taking huge lump sum distribution. So those are just a few things that we, we talk people through. And if people want that kind of advice, that's what we, that's what we do to help
1: people. Very good. Uh, let's just quickly kind of put a bow on the conversation. I, I wanna get some thoughts on you, Personally, what you see every day from your clients, I know we we look at this from this huge Morningstar study, but I'm curious more locally what you're seeing. Um, Which money biases are the ones we've talked about or most present um, in your office, you think?
0: Uh, I would probably say loss aversion right now because of and again, we talked about this before. Hate, hate politics. Don't really like getting into it. It's just it's mind-numbing, really, uh, from from both sides of the aisle to be to be 100% honest and candid. But obviously, there's a big tie-in when it comes to people's finances and taxes, and because there's so many emotional swings in the market, and um, our our average client age again is still sitting around 53, 54 years age. So it's that kind of pre-retiree kind of going into retirement, and they don't want to lose what they have and the market has been so high, I hear this all the time, oh, the market's been doing so well, it's, it's coming down, it's coming down. Okay, it, 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 it may, it, and it will, it's just a matter of when and how far it's gonna go down, so that's not a pessimistic view, that's just how markets work. Uh, however, I, I do believe in the long term it's still gonna be higher, but feeling that short-term pain um, because the market has done so well, but it just hasn't, ha- it's had losses, it just hasn't had extended losses again, 30 something percent in 2020 for six weeks or whatever was, the exact amount of time was that it lost. And then the whole rest of the year, it, it went up. And so you paid the penalty if you jumped off. Um, kind of like Dave Ramsey says, the only people who get hurt on a roller coaster are the people who get off for it finishes. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And, and that happens. And there's going to be longer extended periods where the market goes down. We just, we haven't, that people are right. We haven't had those extended periods. But even throughout the year, there are still months where there is, there's pain. And, and the market corrects and it goes down. It just hasn't been extended pain, if you will and and people still remember 2008 and 2009 and and people think they're prognosticators now oh the, you know the housing market it's, its it's it continue to go up and no and there's no way it can sustain itself well maybe not but it's, it's a different situation that we're in than, than 08 and 09. it still could be a correction it just may not be the exact correction that that happened in in, in the late 2000s, um, early 2000s, mm-hmm. because it, the inventory is just different right now. There's no inventory. So that's a supply and demand thing, and, and, and logistics are a nightmare still. So probably loss aversion. There's so many things. I could chase that rabbit down the hole for a long period of time. But right now, uh, loss aversion is still probably the top one when people come in. Talking about, oh, the market's so high. The market's so high. It's got to come down. So that's that's the pain that people feel and the bias that they have.
1: Are there any specific strategies that you use to help help your clients kind of recalibrate their portfolios and also their mental mental approach when it comes to money investing, saving, and retirement?
0: Yeah, from a technology standpoint, um, it's that's made our lives a whole lot easier as advisors because that the 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 trading software that we use it it checks it every single day. So if there is huge market movements and the portfolio that we set up for people move outside of those parameters it, it alerts us it says hey you want to do this trade sometimes we ignore them i'm like and, and when i say ignore i'm like literally there's a ignore button it's like either trade uh ignore and you can push it off a day a week whatever it may be because sometimes we're like okay i just the market moved a lot. I just I just rebalanced this last week. I, I don't need to, to do it again. It, it's not, not necessary. Now, if this continues on, maybe in a week from now, two weeks, whatever. But So it checks it every single day. So that's how, from a nerd standpoint, it keeps, but most people don't, peek behind the curtain or they don't see behind the curtain when it comes to stuff like that. And that's where the coaching, the behavior coach uh, part comes into play where we continue to try to reach out to people, meet with people, especially when the markets are down. It's easy to meet with people when the markets are good. There's not a whole lot to talk about. (laughs) Um, It's when it's down. So keep staying ahead of that. Um, uh, reaching out to clients I have an open calendar online that people can hop on at any time to schedule when there's dates available so it's it's being available um, and, and talking with people sitting across from them usually makes them feel like okay you got my best interest here you're watching this stuff and we do and again technology from behind the scenes definitely helps with that
1: well, if this uh, hopefully this conversation got you thinking a little bit more about your biases, you know, what money biases you might actually have and, and how they affect your money. And are they actually costing you money? Because in most cases, they are. And hopefully you understand that a little bit better after today's episode. And if you want to sit down, again, Ryan said he had the calendar open. It's available for anyone that wants to jump on it, find an availability. Uh, it works for you, too. If you want to schedule your Retirement Coach 360 session, you can do that online. BlackOakAM.com is the website. Just hop on there. Uh, Follow the contact link and get in touch with Ryan that way and talk through some of these things. And if you want to work through them and get a plan in place, kind of build your money, your money life, as uh, this Morningstar uh, article talked about, CNBC article, you can do that online right now. But got to be thinking about these things because they're so so important they can have a huge impact on your retirement. It's time to open up the mailbag. All right, let's 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 turn our attention to the mailbag before we close out this episode of Perfect Game Retirement. We got a question that came in from Tim in Roswell. Ryan, he said, I'm a dentist and thinking about retiring in the next five years, maybe less. I own my building, so would I be better off to sell the building and invest that cash, or should I try to sell my practice to someone else and rent the building to them? Ooh, good question, Tim.
0: Uh, I like, from a high-level perspective, because... I like passive income and real estate, and a, a lot depends, Tim, on location. Obviously, if you're in, if the location is in Roswell, great area. Uh, I, I would, I mean, sell in the practice, yeah, but then keep in the building and rent it to them. I think is great. It's another, it, it's another asset class uh, that not a lot of people own. So it depends on how much, uh, Tim, that you have invested in the market. Uh, If you already got a good chunk there, if you've been saving over your lifetime, then I would keep the real estate. Uh, Again, this is from a 10,000-foot view without knowing the intricacies of, of your situation. But I would keep that if the buyer of your practice is willing to do that and basically lease the building to them and you collect that, especially if that sucker's paid off. That's a huge asset. So if you got a lot of money, Tim, already invested in the market, I would keep the building And Rent it out. If you don't have a lot of liquid assets different story You may you may want to liquidate that and that way you have because real estate's not liquid obviously, I know you get passive income 10 per month, but it's an illiquid asset and and a a Liquid real estate asset means you're selling it too cheap. Uh, So I don't think that's the situation right now So I think you're in good shape But again, if you don't have a lot of liquid cash to pull from to create an income you may need to sell it but if you're good there then, uh, then I would keep that building and just rent it out to him.
1: Thanks for that question, Tim. If you have one for us, send it in to us, blackoakam.com. Or if you want to call Ryan directly over Black Oak Asset Management, you can do so at 470-508-0508. So that'll close out this episode of Perfect Game Retirement. Again, we'll put that CNBC article in the show notes. So if you want to read it for yourself, please do so. And then contact Ryan if you have any other questions about money biases ryan thanks for the time today again as always and as we make this transition to spring good luck with uh, you and the family i know you always have sports going on so i'm sure there's a new season kicking up and and good luck to you and the the kids
0: yeah i appreciate it Yep, softball baseball right around the corner love it
1: i will talk to you soon on perfect game retirement please hit subscribe for ryan led and i'm ben george take care we'll talk to you next time
0: Just search for Perfect Game Retirement to find us. You can also visit blackoakam.com to listen
1: to past episodes, to contact Ryan Ledden, and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement.